Welcome to This Artistic Life. On this podcast, we sit down with professional artists of all disciplines to talk about their journeys, what inspires them, and their unique perspectives from life off the beaten path. Brought to you in part by Artist Relief Tree, a relief fund for artists affected by cancellations due to COVID-19. I'm your host, Daniel Welch. Today's guest is Jeffrey Hargrave, an African-American artist based in New York City who draws from his own past and current events to create representations of African-Americans, often putting them in the context of art history through the recreation of works by artists such as Matisse to include black figures. He is represented by the Ethan Cohen Gallery in Chelsea. So we can just dive right into it. So uh, thanks so much for taking the time to come on This Artistic Life. I really appreciate you. Yeah, so excited. Thanks for... Yeah, reaching out to me. Yeah, just so let's uh, let's let's dive right in. And um, I I noticed your stuff because of of uh, Ethan's gallery. Actually, I was looking through galleries mm-hmm. in New York City, and that was how I ran across you and um, and your work in a unique voice. And I was like, you know, this is somebody who's who's clearly not um, pulling just directly from other people's stuff. Has a clear vision and uh, a very distinct style and I was like I got to I got to have him on the podcast it would be great to great to converse and kind of get into your head a little bit. So can you talk to us just to, we can start out a little briefly with um where you're from, how you found your way into visual art and the how you ended up choosing your medium. Mm-hmm. Well, uh I'm from Salisbury, North Carolina and it's a a town right outside of Charlotte and um I was born kind of like into an artistic family. My father was a carpenter and he did it for a living. And um, but it, I don't think he went to school for it. It was kind of like a trade that was passed. Up. But my brother, my oldest brother, I'm one out of six. I'm number five. My oldest brother, Kevin, was like a prodigy drawer. He draw really well. And um, so he was kind of like everybody looked up to him. I mean, he just had this amazing ability and kind of wowed everybody. So and I think probably I wanted to like, you know, emulate him. And um, and I really, you know, it was a very difficult childhood. You know, my father had some issues with the, with the sauce. I'll put it that way. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, so I think, um, and that was kind of hard for me, you know. And um, so I think I started drawing as a way to kind of get out of myself and out of those situations. Like when he was at home acting crazy. Um, drawing became a vehicle for me to kind of like leave my body in a way, you know? So that's mm-hmm. how I kind of first started. Um, and then, you know, I started to take the art classes in school. I mean, when I was growing up, uh, I was born in 1973, like music and all that stuff, especially in North Carolina, I don't know about anywhere else. It was like required, you know, like home yeah. act and music. So I had to, everybody took music classes and drawing classes. So it wasn't something like, oh, so when I got into the classes, I think my teachers kind of noticed like, oh, I think you have kind of a, so in a way, and it kind of makes sense for the work that I do today now, because it's so much about my experiences as a black man, as a gay man, as a, um, that I, you know, it kind of makes sense that I started off as a way to kind of like deal with my crazy situation. Yeah, absolutely. And so you went from, you, you obviously developed a little bit of your, um, your your concept and your style in before you went to undergrad in art but you went to RISD right yeah but before there I actually this is something you might know of. I went to North Carolina School of the Arts Do you know, it's like oh, okay. and they, have, they, have, they have theater opera whatever. that's why I said I like yeah yeah so I was uh it's a the visual arts program there which is still it still happens there An amazing program 
actually I have to say I loved it more than RISD <laughs> to be honest, really? because it was so rigorous, you know, and um, the visual arts program was a two year program, a high school program, but you could do your junior, senior year in high school or your senior year in high school and freshman year in college, but then you have to transfer. And, you know, and also um, even with the opera singers and the, the, the actors and everybody else, every year you have to be invited back. Oh, okay. So it was very intense. Yeah. yeah. So my class of the first year I was there was like a class of 34 students, either in their senior year or junior year. And I barely made it back for the second part. But um, the second year, there was only 12 people who made it back. Wow. So it show, that shows you. That is intense, man. <laughs> it was very intense. So, yeah, that's what I'm saying. But that kind of rigor actually was really, I mean, they pushed you, pushed you, pushed you. It was like, you know, and and then your second year, of, at the end of your second year, before you, you leave there, you have a thesis show. Mm-hmm. So they kind of prepared us up how to do an art show, how to do that. So, although, you know, I love RISD, but that's cool. Something about it, the rigor of that, you know, with the dancers and seeing it, being around all the different artists. Yeah. You know, I got to, and I was exposed to so many different things. I'd never been to an opera before. Mm-hmm. Until I got to the school of the arts, I never seen a jazz, you know, like a, a big, you know, band play, yeah, big you know, band, like yeah. a classical band. I never seen like a Broadway show, like I mean, even though it wasn't Broadway, but you know, these actors went on to Broadway, you know. So yeah, you know, it was just kind of like in the sticks, kind of. <laughs> so it really that exposure with every different thing was so invaluable, even more so than RISD, I think, because. You know, I had, you know, I saw the dancers, the ballet dancers, the modern dancers. I got to go to the performances. And so that was just so inspiring. So, I mean, being enveloped in that level of um, creation in multiple mediums can't, I mean, I don't know how you could not be energized by that. Yeah. And like that, but in terms of style and everything, I think that just kind of happened over the years, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say that, like, because a lot of my work deals with taking art historical, the work that I do now, like with Ethan and everyone paintings like um a picasso painting and inserting black people in it and kind of making a comment about yeah um and that actually happened i didn't really look at it seriously until like gosh like 1999 or 2000 mm-hmm. i was doing a residency upstate at a art residency called art on my i think yeah and um but in the, when I went to the North Carolina School of the Arts, I think it was like 1991 and 92, the second year kids, they took us on a trip to New York because they liked us a lot, you know, we, and um, they paid for everything we flew there. I don't think I've ever flown on a plane until then, you know, so, and we went to galleries, they, all the galleries were in Soho, and um, there was a show and uh, this artist named James Barnes that just stuck in my head. And uh, what he did was that he would take, um, he made these weird little characters um, on top of like comic book, you know, like the Sunday comic strips. Yeah. And for some odd reason, it stuck with me. I just love the way that he put his little figures. So when we went back to North Carolina, I tried that. So that was kind of when I first did, like in high at the School of the Arts, I put like an Aunt Jemima or something. Like I got like the, <laughs> the Leave it to Beaver things and I glued it down and then I painted my little, like, so that was the first one I did when I was at the School of the Arts. That's why I say in, that, in a lot of ways, that school was more, and then I stopped doing it while I was at RISD. I kind of put it away for years. Yeah. And then I came back to it like in 2000. So it was kind of like a long period of where, but that was the, that first exposure was so important. Yeah. You know, of that artist seeing how right, he took right. something and changed it by putting his work on top of it. So definitely. I mean, it, I think when you're inspired by an artist, no matter what the medium is, there's always an, an immediate desire to emulate it just a little bit. And then, mm-hmm. you know, and then tweak it to see where where you can take it, um, yeah. you know, and that I see that with 
Uh, I see that with visual art, with with dance. I know as a photographer, I've absolutely done that. I've seen, you know, a couple of shots that Mario Testino did and was like, I, w- I want to see if I could take that shot, you know, and I'm not going to oh, yeah. I'm not going to copy the portfolio, but um, it it allows you to play with technique and and uh, how they understand composition and how they work with light and yada, yada, yada. So I, I definitely yeah. see how it's it's definitely worthwhile to to emulate um, other artists. Was there a distinct benefit to going to art school that um, affected your career? Yeah, I mean, I, I would definitely say the School of the Arts is now it was North Carolina School of the Arts, but now it's University of North Carolina School of the Arts yeah. because um, it was important for me to. It's kind of like what someone says: like it's good to learn the rules so you can break them. Mm-hmm. So, like we did a lot in the beginning. We did it was all about like how to draw the figure and like drawing. We drew so many like uh, still lives and and then like towards the end of that first year it was about like breaking the rules and like really kind of like they would give us these crazy projects like they said go to a coffee shop it was in winston-salem north carolina or still in and meet someone totally stranger get to know them and then come back and make a piece about it you know so they kind of okay <laughs> so they got interesting they made it so interesting and actually i was right like i jotted down some things you know from what you and i they were so passionate about it. And I hear other people who went there too say it, it was almost like they made art and music and everything else like seem as, as important as like breathing, you mm-hmm. know, like, and, and it was, and I think that putting in just was so important and uh, they were just so serious about it. And, and I do think, you know, I, I liked RISD a lot. I think I had a hard time at RISD with the looseness of college yeah, because I was really kind of like in, and um, actually, even at North Carolina School of the Arts, I, you know, you could be in theater there for college. And I know people who made it to the third year of college in theater there and get kicked out. Oh, yeah. And not be invited for the fourth year. So it was very, I think that kind of, it was very competitive, you know, and there were kind of pros and cons to that. My, my you know, to that, because a lot of people were, couldn't handle the stress, but yeah. So when I got to RISD, it was more kind of like, it was like a lot of parties. So I just felt like, oh, you know, it was like no one forced me to go to class. And it was, that was harder for me than yeah. having the structure. I, like I said, I work well under pressure. And so this pressure of North Carolina School of the Arts was kind of good for me. But when I got to RISD, it was like, I, I actually didn't realize I didn't have to go to class if I didn't, if I wasn't told to. It was kind yeah. of a shock. Because yeah. at School of the Arts, it was like, you had to, I was like, you mean, and someone told me that. I was like, you're kidding. I thought I was supposed to, like I had to, you know, so... <laughs> I really did. I was very naive. So, so that was harder for me, that kind of looseness of college. Right. Do you find Um, now that you, do you create structure in your own life when it comes to your creation? Do you set yourself a schedule or like, how do you set um, that up now? I'm inspired by so much of what goes on in the world, like the news and um, the internet and the paper. A lot of times uh, I feel it's important for me to kind of get the ideas in my head first. Mm -hmm. You know, I do a lot of sketches and, sketchbooks and things that's one thing that i learned in school of the arts and RISD was that to have, have a sketchbook so but everybody's different you know one of my favorite artists is you know like basquiat he never went to art school right or you know and look you know so it's uh and even those artists back in like i don't even think matisse went to art school you know and i've been through so many different phases i went through phases where i used to make like hundreds and hundreds of dolls okay yeah they're kind of scary but uh and um and then I kind of got sick of that. And then I made some animations. So I've gone through different, I made like a little 
video film kind of thing one point and so what what inspires uh a new a new work for you um what well i collect art so right, that's um, a great start yeah <laughs> so i really like i'm surrounded by like and that really inspires me like artists that i love you know some are friends some are people that are not i don't know but um and i buy a lot of young artists i bought street art you know i have like street art hanging in my bathroom you know so i'm very and all of it kind of feeds me you know yeah and because sometimes i look at the painting that a friend that i bought or something from a gallery and say oh my gosh i love the way that this person portrayed this or the way the brushstroke is maybe i should try that in my you know now or something yeah but music really inspires me Does you it? know a lot of times i'll play music when i paint yeah and uh yeah, like it kind of, you know, so it gives me in the mood, kind of like Barry White, you know. But uh, do you find the but, different different genres affect how you how you paint? Oh yeah, if I'm in a mood for like more serious kind of structural painting, I have to listen to something maybe like classical. Mm -hmm. But if I want to be like more expressive and free, I might listen to like uh, Beyonce or something. <laughs> it's kind of. Yeah. I love opera because actually I've been listening to a lot of Kathleen Battle and of your Jesse yeah. Norman and all that. I really feel like I'm in heaven when I listen to certain operas. And that makes me, I'll listen to something by Kathleen Battle or one of those stars or by Mozart or one of those people. And it makes me, I want to run home and paint. Because mm -hmm. I think that's the that's the power of like all the different art forms. You know? Definitely. It just takes me. Or another thing I do actually that it helps me out a lot when I need inspiration or, or maybe if I don't even realize I need inspiration is going to like the Met. Yes, museum. totally. And I'll go look, and all of a sudden I have to run home and paint. I'm telling you, it's like, yep. I mean, it's like, <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. I, I will, I love, I've had a membership to the, to the Met for years, but I'll go and I'll, I'll either find a wing that I haven't spent a whole lot of time in or just a room that I haven't spent a whole lot of time in. And then I'll ignore the rest of the museum for the afternoon, but I'll kind of like stay camped out in one spot. And it definitely makes me want to create, going to museums absolutely makes me want to create without question. I, 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 yeah, it's crazy. I never told anyone this. Years ago, I would go to the Met and sketch like the Rodin sculptures and stuff. And for some odd reason, I don't know how to really describe it. It seemed like every time I went there, like my career would like advance. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know what it's when I went there and drew. Yeah. Like my art would increase. It was weird. I, <laughs> I need to go back there because I was like, goodness, crazy. it seems like every time I go to the Met and I draw there, I have like a breakthrough or something with my work. I totally agree. And it, every time that I go, if, I, if I'm not pulling up direct inspiration from something, there's something that I, I learn. Um, like there's a, there's a Degas that they have um, that is a young, young woman with Ibis, I believe is what it is in the Degas room. And if you read through the history of the, the portrait, it started out as this this portrait of this pensive woman and then he added later on he added a um kind of a sort of a mystical almost middle eastern city in the background it's not an actual city he just <clears throat> he just kind of created one from scratch and that's the background and then on top of that he added these two um bright orange birds these two ibis that he added to the, the painting as well and it was he started in the middle of the 1850s and then reworked it again in the 1860s and one of the, i took away two different things from that number one it's not abnormal to constantly be wanting to tweak your work like mm -hmm. even even people like degas wanted to tweak his work and then mm -hmm. for me the ibis actually almost ruined the painting and and that reminds me that you can over tweak like there's a point yeah. where you need to be able to walk away from your work and say okay 
this is what it is right now. This is where it needs to stay. And if I go any further, I, I, I will have kind of killed the project or killed the work. Um, and I just, I found that so interesting that I assumed that I was kind of one of the few people that did that as an artist, mm -hmm. but to see that at somebody that we consider to be a classic, to be a great, go through that process. I was like, oh no, artists are artists and artists have their process no matter how fantastic they are or how amateur they are. Like that's part of the process of creation. And oh gosh, I, yeah, I never would have gotten that without going to the Met and reading the little placard on the, on the painting. Never would have happened. <laughs> Wait, oh gosh, there was something trending one time, but it was like famous works by artists, like their first works or something like, and just how bad they were. And like early Rembrandts are like horrible. I don't know if you've ever <laughs> seen them, but they're like, oh my, I was kind of shocked. And you could tell, I'm like, I mean, it's really kind of, you know, so it's interesting. Yeah. If, if a lot of your inspiration comes from your, these outward, these outward sources and other artists and other music and that kind of thing, um, let's dive into that, that concept of creating a personal style of, of when does the inspiration go from, um, emulating to really you finding your own voice. And this is the, the thing that always made me happy talking to other artists as I was growing as a commercial photographer was that it takes years to find mm. to usually for most people for most artists to find um, their specific style or their voice and those styles can change over the years and they can progress well I did have like an aha moment you know yeah. and I, I was in Rhode Island I um, actually had finished RISD and um, I did a year of volunteer community service for a program called city year they have it here in new york now mm -hmm. it's kind of like a miracle spinoff and um and it helps you pay back loans and student loans or to go to school so for like poor kids they can kind of like do a year of service and they give you money at the end of it if you finish to go to college or whatever but i wanted to pay off some of the money out of RISD, so i did that and i did it in rhode island providence and then and my work was very different i was doing these things like they're all i hadn't really even painted really and because um, I was like the, a poor kid at RISD, it was very, and um, so um, I was doing these charcoal things that looked like Francis Bacon. I would do like a portrait of, say, my face, and then I would do cut do like three different versions of my eyes on a different sheet of paper and cut them out and then glue them all over. So it was really kind of scary, like Francis Bacon, kind of scary. All these eyes, all these mouths gnawing, but it was just kind of. And I kind of find the niche because people kind of liked them in Rhode Island. I was selling, you know, and they would do like these kind of charcoal Buddhas and stuff. And burnt. so it was totally different. And then when I came to New York, um, after I finished that year, um, so the magic of New York and just the excitement and then like going to the galleries in Soho, this is 1997, it was just, just amazing. And I, I, I started taking a class at Cooper Union. It was a Saturday program class. And they said, do a self-portrait. So I said, well, why don't I do something? I think I wanted to be provocative because it was New York. I said, I got to yeah. do something that's going to really stand. <laughs> so um, I um, did a portrait of myself as Aunt Jemima. And I wrote like the N-word all in the back. And they were kind of horrified. But I had gotten a job. This is one thing that really helped me out as a, a young artist as well as just get a, getting a job in the art world. You know, I got a job at the gallery. Yep. And uh, I showed her the work and she kind of liked it. So she became my first dealer, Trisha Collins. And, you know, so, um, and so that's how it happened. I think I just had, I think it was the magic and the power of New York City. And maybe I kind of felt like New York would be more accepting of that kind of work. I don't know. For sure. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Because I, mean, I lived in Boston, I lived in Providence, and it was kind of like they didn't want to see, you know. So I finally felt like, wow, the freedom to really express what I wanted to feel. And even though, like, people still kind of, you know, didn't like 
you know, because I started, I did a lot of stuff like blackface stuff in the beginning, mm-hmm. like, you know, and, uh, you know, it turned a lot of people off. So, but also it was kind of going back to what I saw growing up in the South. So, and experience. So, and even on TV and cartoons, and I saw like, you know, Bugs Bunny would go to Africa, everybody's dancing around a pot, you know, candle. Yeah. So, I kind of was going through that period in my life. So, that's why I mean by different phases. And then I did a residency. I kind of split up with that gallery. And in 1999 or 2000, I did a residency, Malay Colony and um upstate new york and and it was really the isolation it was in a barn on you know it's like even to get to the art place you know was like 30 minutes through the woods and it's very isolated and it was writers and artists and, and you really all you had to do all you could do was work you know you're in the middle of nowhere so and they had a library of art books so i got a book one day and i thought well why don't i take this black character and i saw matisse in the painting in the book and i said wouldn't it be interesting if i took this character and instead of having the Matisse woman put my blackface character. And that's mm-hmm. how I had the breakthrough of like, that's where it happened with the whole art historical thing. That was the beginning of that. So I had taken it from the, you know, the self-portrait at that class to like this new thing where I was combining these blackface characters of art history. And then that kind of eventually led to more kind of, okay, what is the whole history of like slavery and like colonialism and like, and then it became more about African roots and with these art historical, which is kind of what I'm doing now. So it's kind of like one little thing led to, but I think it was like the, the 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 culture shock of new experiences, like coming to New York and having a new experience and the excitement of that and going to this residency and having all this kind of concentrated time, you know, and um, was very helpful. And the other thing that really helped me was, and this program still exists, there's a program at the Bronx Museum of Art called Artists in the Marketplace. Okay. And it's an amazing program. It's really hard to get in. I mean, I applied for years and got rejected for years. I finally got in. And they really teach you about marketing. One of the women who was in the program with me got a MacArthur grant. You know, a lot of people get, I mean, it was like a really rigorous, and it still exists. And it's like six months. You go there every Tuesday and they teach about marketing. They send, bring, they, you meet all these well-known artists and they really teach you about the business. And it culminates with a show in the museum, a group show and a catalog. And that was like the, and then after that, like a few years later, they gave me a solo show in the museum. Wow. But that program was the really, it took me to the, and then Ethan took me on after that show. Okay. So that's an amazing program. I guess I just put it out there. Artists yeah. in the marketplace. Artists in the marketplace. And market like a place. lot of like art stars have come out of that program. You said there was the Bronx Museum, right? Bronx Museum of Art. Yeah. That's so how I mean. did you determine what you wanted your, what stories you wanted your art to tell? Was it kind of that it was the, can't, you said a lot of it came from your experience, especially growing up in the South. Um, but how did you land on, uh, both the the medium for telling that story and and what specifically you want people to take away from your art or is it still kind of a little nebulous for you from time to time well i guess you know when i was growing up i just feel like you know i kind of had a lot of things you know you know society in the world told me I had a lot of things against me like being black i knew i was gay and come out to my family but when i was growing up they know now but so i was kind of battling that too and i was like oh my gosh so the art saved me you know i think i wouldn't be here if i didn't have, you know it, uh, it gave me out i was able to express myself it's always been about what i'm going through what is this experience like what is the experience like um with the first black president barack obama how do i feel now you know like gay marriage like how is that you know changing it's always been about like what i was going through really maybe that's very selfish but and i think other people maybe kind of started to identify with those feelings i didn't know other people felt the way that i felt but it was always just a matter of being honest to my and truthful to myself. 
I always felt that I was doing the right thing. And it was almost kind of like, um, I think someone says the same, like if you, if you shine here, if you clean here, it shines over there kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, so a lot of it's just being true to myself and yeah. having the, you know, which is not always easy when you, and I've always had good friends that like always, I mean, one of my, my best friends on the planet is a black trans woman. And like, she's always stuck by me. Like Jeff, do your work, stick to your vision. And that's always, you know, helped a lot too. So um, I think good art, great art is courageous. And the the artists that are have the courage to, to create it, um, allow conversations to happen because you as you said, you know, people rallied around uh, your pieces and, and you found people had similar experiences and it starts um, it starts dialogues, it starts conversations that maybe wouldn't have happened. I think that um, you say, you know, maybe it's selfish, but I think that without having that self-expression, there are a lot mm-hmm. of conversations that wouldn't have happened um, yeah. without you diving inward and then, making basically making it public through your work um i think you've you've likely touched a lot of people that were then able to have dialogue that wouldn't have happened otherwise or would have been a little bit more difficult and i think that good art has that that courage to do that so i applaud you for for that for sure people say certain singers certain songs by maybe mariah carey or someone helped them through a difficult time like the art was always kind of there. And that's the one thing I feel like, you know, I joke around a lot with friends and I might say be shady at certain things, but as soon as someone tells me they're an artist, like music, I have, I, I, regardless of what level, I just have automatic respect because I, I really do feel that it takes a lot to really express yourself, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I tell you, like the street artists, I love it. I buy their work. I love it. I mean, I feel like if, if anyone can let themselves put themselves out in that way to the world, I mean, I mean, I feel like, you know, it's all valid in that way. So, yeah. Because it's very so, hard to speak from the soul or whatever. Definitely. Definitely. Can you talk a little bit about what you've been working on more recently? The good thing about me is that love life I've not really had much luck with, but business life. <laughs> I've always, like, I have a good, I, have a, I work with Ethan. And I also work with a gallerist in New Jersey. And we've worked together for 20 years, you know, Greg Smith. So Greg Smith is great because he, um, he has, like, a museum-sized space. And all these guys, I mean, also, I don't work with, like, I don't like, jerks you know greg smith and ethan they're like the nicest people on the planet i'm telling you they're very down to earth and but greg has like a museum-sized space right now in chatham nice but when i first met him he used to have a gallery in soho and i had a show with him in like 2001 is right after 9 11. but he also does editions like he's done editions with robert cottingham he's the guy who did the love the big love yeah, the yeah. famous like greg has done editions with all these people so he wants to do an, a print of my work one of my pieces um, so, uh, so that's supposed to be coming up and, um, you know, I had done several art fairs with Ethan, um, and, um, and actually we're supposed to work on it. He's working on a book now of, uh, my paintings that I did based on Black Lives Matter and, um, um, Black is Beautiful. I've done a whole series of, so, um. And what are you, what are you creating right now? What are you painting right now? Um, well, I've been dealing a lot with what's going on now in the news and all mm-hmm. that stuff. So. Like I said, like it's always about what you know. I'm always watching the news, what's going on. A lot. I try to see what's happening, what's really happening. You know, like I mean, for me, it's to try to touch on what the problem really is, not to try to sugarcoat it as a way. Because I think, when in regards to racial stuff, I think a lot of the problem, in my opinion, is that people try to call, make everything nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
okay, let's like, you know, let's try to do this and try to, and I don't think anyone's good or bad. I just think that it's better, I think, to look at the problem. I think sometimes it's painful to look at the reality. Yeah. Because, you know, we don't want to be a certain way or this group is acting in a certain way. We don't want to be a part of that. But I think you kind of have to look at it as a way to kind of heal it. You know, it's like someone said, I don't know. They said, I can't, I don't know how to say it in PG. But they said, oh, you, you make you, a cake. I was going to say, you can be explicit. Of, <laughs> well, if you make a cake and it's full of shit, you know, you can put the icing on the outside, but there's still shit on the inside. Yep. So, it's yep. kind of, so, so it might look okay on the outside, but it's rotting on the inside. So it's, you kind of, I think you have to kind of get to the root of it. Yeah. And clear it out. And because I've learned that, you know, if you don't look at it, it's going to come back up. That, yep. you know, it's going to, if you don't learn from it, you're going to have opportunities in the future to learn from it. So, and you're going to keep repeating it until you kind of grow from it. So, definitely. Definitely. So. Do you have any advice for young or emerging artists that are that are kind of pushing into your field for the first time and 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 don't want to work the nine to five but want to be a professional artist? Do you have any advice or wisdom for those individuals? I think as a young person, it's good to get a job in a gallery. I don't know this COVID world or what seems like there's a lot of online stuff. Um, and one of the true things still holds, I think, I got with Ethan because of a friend. Mm -hmm. It's who you know. It's mm -hmm. really about, you know, that is another thing. And um, another thing that really helped me is I think um, I worked with some, a lot of art dealers and I was a, I was a, I worked in catering as a waiter for a long time. And I was like, oh, I can't take it, you know. And I just didn't want to do, I mean, the Bronx Museum program helped a lot because um, it talked to me about marketing and blah, blah, blah. So that helped. And strategic planning is very important. Yeah. But the other thing that I learned is that get to know the dealer. I mean, I think a lot of times what happens is that people just show up and say, can you look at my work and blah, blah, blah. And it turns them off, mm -hmm. you know? And if you go to their openings, look at the website and just show some interest, uh, I think then maybe, then after that, I mean, it, not even in any kind of superficial way, but, you know, I think they get turned over and someone just shows up and they don't know anything about the gallery. Yeah. And um, and also, you know, I have to realize that certain galleries show certain types of work. so. If you go to a gallery that only deals in expressionist paintings and you're a realist, then they obviously they would know that you didn't even look take, take the time to look at, you know. So that, you know, because one of the galleries that I'm really good friends with, Mitchell Algas, I worked for him as an assistant and um, I was in a sh couple of shows with him. I would just go by his gallery all the time and say, hey, just have conversations with him. You yeah. know, um, when I was showing with Trisha Collins in Soho. I, I, he had this dinky little space, but he was always, every show he did got reviewed in New York Times. I was like, this tiny little gal. And, um, and he was really like way ahead of his times. He had, you know, a lot of his artists have gone up to these stars, like a the Gojian Gallery. And, and, but he had this tiny little space and so on. I was like, who is this guy? And he was like a science teacher during the weekend. He had a gallery in the weekend. And I just kind of got to know him. We became friends. So that's one of the best ways is get to know the dealer, you know? Yeah. Because I think a lot of artists just show up and they say, you know, and it kind of turns them. Because I worked for a lot of dealers. I worked for Nina Nose, who gave Basquiat his first show. Yep. And I learned by it. She was really tough. And I just learned <laughs> by being around them and stuff. And uh, so that's one thing. Get to know the gallery because it is like a relationship. Yep. A friendship or anything like that. And, uh, and you want it to be like that. So, But marketing, I think artists should really try to learn about, like, how to market yourself because... I don't really buy into the, I think if you buy into the the starving artist thing, that's what you'll get. But if you buy into the, like the prosperous artist, and that's what you'll get too. It's all about what you set your mind on, you know? Yeah. 
And because people would say, oh, you're a starving artist. And I would think to myself, like, no, I'm not. Like, I don't want that label put on me when I was, you know, younger and stuff. Yeah. And I got really angry when people would say that because I saw these artists and they were like doing well. I'm like that. So people put a lot of stereotypes on artists. And I think if you can kind of push that out, you know, then you'll be good. And it's kind of like uh, that. I, I like the your your face to face networking concept. I think that's um, that's really key no matter what your medium is um because yeah you're 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 not just selling your work but especially if your work is an extension of who you are and your experiences then there needs to be some level of personal relationship there rather than just the whole here's my work sell it for me kind of <laughs> kind of mentality and professional i mean you gotta kind of think a friend of mine i'll never forget she's a great artist and but I looked at her resume one time and it was just so crazy. She just had all this kind of weird stuff. Like, oh, I don't know. You just have to really kind of think of it like you're a lawyer or a doctor, you know? Yeah. And I will say, I did work for this one artist. This is, I think this is very, uh, Shireen Nishat. She's a very famous video artist. Um, she's shown like at MoMA and all these places. And had, and I was her assistant for years. And um, she worked with Philip Glass. You know, he did uh, a piece for music with and she carried herself. I love the way, like, she always kept folders and files. And I would always run, I was doing her Xeroxes and stuff. But I saw how she ran her being an artist like a business. Yeah. And I think that experience was so valuable. I mean, if you can get like an internship with an artist, it's very important because I saw that it wasn't just about, like, you know, that she was a business. Like, she had files, she had this, she kept records, you know, and that helped me out a lot to see oh so i do that now i keep files and i keep records and and i take it seriously you know mm -hmm. and i saw how she did that and, and i thought wow you know so that's a very important thing to be like you don't have to be the starving artist you can be the jay-z or you know justin bieber or you know be the professional artist you know yeah. i think society puts that on artists like you have to be the starving, but that's not true you know well, also give back. I love, I always try to give, you know, like I buy art, I buy art, you know, I support artists, you know. Yeah. You know, we help, you know, that's the one thing I think artists should help artists. I've introduced artists to Ethan, mm -hmm. you know. Um, I introduced him to an artist in North Carolina when we went there and he bought like, um, I think like $7,000 worth of that artist's work. Mm -hmm. So it's like help other artists, you know, artists yeah. help artists, you know. So it's that, that collaboration rather than competition mindset. Yeah. You know, and um, someone told me, like, you know, um, I was saying, oh, my God, so-and-so is such a good artist and blah, blah, blah. They're such a good gallery. And she said the wisest thing to me. She said, there's enough room on the planet for a lot of artists <laughs> and a lot of galleries. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for uh, this sitting in doing this podcast. It's been great. If you're interested in contributing to Artist Relief Tree to help artists struggling with COVID-19 shutdowns, please visit artistrelieftree.com. This has been an episode of This Artistic Life. Find us on your favorite podcast apps and subscribe. Follow This Artistic Life on Instagram at This Artistic Life and on Twitter at Artistic Vita. For more information on today's guest, visit our website, thisartisticpodcast.com.